Amen. Well, uh, <clears throat> we want to do things differently. We want to think about trying to jar you in some way out of a rut. I don't know how old you are, uh, but you've experienced that many Christmases. And there's two sort of ways in which that can affect you. Uh, There's the way we hope it's going to affect you and then the way it does affect you. (laughs) The way it it often does affect you is it becomes a noise that's the same noise that you hear year after year and there's a part of you that becomes inured to it. You become sort of deaf to it. Uh, I'm constantly surprised at Rachel's ability to not hear our children. Uh, I think she does hear them, but some sort of like God-given defense mechanism where her sanity is, is encased in this deafness from our kids' constant, ah, right? Somehow, repeated noise, you can start to hear it less and less. People that live near airports, they don't even hear this giant airplane that takes off or lands right by their house. Eventually, their brain just turns that noise input off. Christmas to Christmas to Christmas after Christmas, you have these same moments. You have these same experiences. You have these same feelings. You maybe go through these same practices. And then those little things are different. Maybe you have more money this year, a little bit less next year. Maybe the kids are here this year, and now they're getting a little older, and they're here a little less. Maybe you go to this church now, you used to go to a different. You live in this state now, you used to live in a different... Things are different, but they're also very consistent. And what happens is, is a car drives in the same spot on the same road. Every time it starts to build this little rut where it goes a little bit deeper and it never turns, it never thinks, it just continues. And Christmas can be that. You can just get rutted into Christmas. You just start to feel it less and less and less and less. Okay, that's how it could be and often is. But that's not what it was designed for, the pattern. And you see patterns in Scripture where God designs calendars for His church. He gives them repeated holidays, repeated festivals, repeated feasts and celebrations and fasts in order to remind and to remember. But it's not merely to remember, it's to expand out and go deeper. Because here's the problem that that we have, that God has with us of one of... He's trying to give us something that is so big. He's trying to feed you something that is so delicious, but also so large. You're subsisting because you can only take a little broth at a time. That's the only thing you're strong enough for. And he wants to give you so much more. He's got this music that's playing. And the intricacy and the beauty and the nuance and the volume. You can't, you can't handle his music. And so he's got he's to just keep giving you a little bit more and a little bit more. And just expand your capacity a little bit more and a little bit more. And that's part of what happens with Christmas. That year after year after Christmas after Christmas, the glory of what's happening at Christmas is hopefully going to land and it's going to hit and it's going to go a little bit further than it did last year. And you're going to understand just a little bit more than you did last time. The magnitude of Christmas. Because what happened at Christmas? Here's our verse for the day. It's our only verse that I'm going to make you like look up because we're going to kind of bounce around to some different places throughout the text because all the scripture is making this 
this music. But it says in Matthew chapter 1. So if you have a copy of the scriptures, you can turn or tap your way to Matthew chapter 1. If you don't have a copy of the scriptures, please give us the honor of gifting you a modern English translation of the Bible so you can read it and have it. There's something cool about having a tactile copy of the scriptures. Matthew chapter 1, verse 23 says, Behold. This is Matthew quoting Isaiah, Old and New Testament, singing together, harmonizing together. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son. Miraculous birth is going to take place where a virgin, we believe this, literally, a virgin became pregnant through miraculous means for a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel. He's just saying this. Why? The Bible translates it for us. How easy. Which means God with us. I see you've already missed it. God with us. Let the inflection start to just start to reverberate a little bit. God. God with, with, with us. Us? God with us. What's he saying? He's saying that God, immutable, eternal, creator of all, spirit above all, wise beyond wisdom, power beyond strength, God, with us. What are we? The same Bible that says this says about us that we were made from dust. God didn't create us by forming us from diamonds. He didn't shape and carve granite. He didn't whip a wheel up water and all of its beauty and clarity and purity and form us. What did he do? Just grab a little dust. Blew life into us. Adam and Eve. Oh, oh, oh. Okay, Eve, he pulled a rib out of Adam and made Eve. But I'm saying like a little bit of what are you? Dust. God, who is totally without beginning. He didn't create himself. He is. He is. What's your name? Yahweh. What does that mean? I am. That I am. He is. Don't come from anywhere. He's not sustained by anything. He is. He with Dust? Us? Do you start to see it? My job, my only job is to just think about this stuff. And it's because God knows you've got to put somebody on the bench and just let them just ponder this stuff. And I think that's part of why God has given me just, you know, I have the capability I have. And it's a pretty small amount that I can take in. And, and he takes that and he shoves all of this truth in and I can hold like one thing at a time. And so I spend all week on this one 
on the fact that God is with us. That's what we're calling this series, Invasion. We didn't call it Christmas bells or poinsettias. We called it Invasion. Why? Because it's, what's, what's, which one is Christmas about? Is it about berries, little berries and, and the prickly pine stuff? Is that what it's about? Is it about coldness and presence? No. It's about God invading us. Think about this for a moment. This is what the incarnation means. It's just Latin for enfleshment, putting on of flesh. John 1.14, the word became flesh. We're saying that we believe God, infinite God, infinite spirit, uncreated God, became, meaning there was a point at which he took on flesh, that the nature of God added, he took upon himself an additional nature of man, he became flesh, there's all kinds of weird ways you can go wrong with this when we talk about the Trinity, you can go through the history of the church and understand heresy after heresy after heresy, because every time they try and take what is in God and above us, and they try and bring it down to our own understanding, they mess it up, because to make it fit into our brains the only way to do it is to kind of Break it so that they can fit it in to the ways that we think. And every time they do that, they end up with heresy. Watch out. But not only with the Trinity, but also with the dual nature of Christ, that he is both God and man. Every time we think we understand how that fits, and every time we try to make that work so that God is man, every time we get beyond the mystery of it, we get into heresy. We do things like assuming that he wasn't really God. He was just a man who for a moment became sort of like God. We go different ways with it. Maybe we think that at the baptism of Jesus, Jesus was sort of puppeteered by God, that, that there was a nice guy named Jesus who had all this prophecy around him, and John the Baptist, and stuff with his mom and his dad, and some kind of virgin conception, however that works. But at his baptism, when the dove, you know, the Spirit of God descends on him like a dove, you have this moment, this sort of reverse exorcism. Remember that movie, The Exorcist? Don't go see it. But if you know what I'm talking about, she gets this demon inside her and it changes her, right? Well, what if it was some sort of good version of that where you're just a person and you're just kind of a nice person and then God comes inside you and you become Jesus and that's who you are and then he sort of puppeteers Jesus around for a little while and then he kind of takes him and then runs him off this cliff of crucifixion. Jesus dies and then he's no longer God. That makes more sense. That's not what we're saying. You could say it the other way and say that God didn't really become a man, that he was just sort of hiding himself for a moment behind some skin. That it was like a mask and that he was still God, but he just put on like a mask humanity. And then at the end of his life, he took it back off again and he released himself from all the restriction of being a human. Is that what he did? The word became flesh. Hebrews 2.17 Therefore he had to be made like his brothers in every respect 
so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service to God, uh, of God, to make propitiation, substitution, payment for the sins of the people. If he's going to represent us before God, he has to be us. And you've already missed it. God became flesh. I've been spending all week trying to think about how to communicate this to myself. It's not like I get it and you're all some sort of idiot kids that I've got to somehow describe it to. I'm trying to figure this out and I'm trying to figure out how to explain it to myself. And the only things I've come up with aren't that good. So, heads up. The way that God became like us. So this is the two points of this sermon. That God brought God to us and that God brought us to God. The word became flesh so that God could bring God to us and bring us to God. How, how do we understand that and how do we think about that? How does God go so low as to take on flesh? What would that be like for us to go and do? And I thought about what would it be like if I became an ant? Here I am with all of my brilliant abilities to do technology and walk around and be a mammal. And I decide to take on anthood. And I become an ant. Fully restricting myself to the, the ways of an ant. And again, this is not a great analogy. But if I were to do that, would that be what God did for us? A little bit. But it goes even further because we're not ants. We're dust. That are here for a moment and then we're gone. So maybe a better illustration would be my friend, uh, Brett. A couple doors down, him and his kids, they made the most perfect, like picture card perfect snowman the other day. Oh my gosh, it's beautiful. It's like it's the right proportions for all three. And I don't know if they went to a store or something, but they bought like the perfect pieces of the pipe and the nose and the eyes and the buttons and the, and the like it even had the stovetop hat. And I have to think that's just for the snowman. I can't imagine a situation in which Brett like puts on his stovepipe hat. It's the most perfect snowman. And we drive past it. And when the snow comes and the people that have been here their whole lives and they know like when the snow is going to pack together and make something and they get out and they build these structures and these elaborate, beautiful things and we're driving through it and my kids are looking out like, Dad, when are we going to make that? And I'm like, we're not going to do that. I don't know how to do that. Whenever you learn how to do it, that's when you're going to make that. I don't know. Let's stay inside. But when we drive past this perfect snowman, for a day. And then yesterday the sun was out. So what happened? I mean it's still there. But it's slumped. Just like you slump. If you're ever a pastor you'll get to watch this happen. As the sermon goes on and people just sort of slowly. <laughs> and the melting took place and this snowman just slumped. How long will he be there? I don't know. Not long. Would you consider consent to condescend to becoming a snowman. Here today, gone tomorrow. What's the meaning? Would you be willing? 
And that's not even a good illustration because a snowman, like an ant, is morally neutral. And God, while he took on flesh, he was perfect and he stayed perfect. He didn't become sinful till the cross. But I'm saying that when he took on flesh, he came to live among us. And it's not like us going to live among snowmen because that that communicates something of the reduction of capacity, something of the reduction of communication. The, The way in which the Spirit and the Father and the Son are communicating to each other and then that Jesus comes down and becomes a man, that communicates something of the reduction, but it doesn't communicate something of the filth. Because a snowman is morally neutral. But Jesus didn't come to be among snowmen. He came to be among sinful humanity. Like you and me. Yesterday we watched Home Alone 2. It's not the good one. It's the other one. It's the second Home Alone with Macaulay Culkin. And it's fine. But he got, instead of being stuck in his home in Chicago. He gets stuck in New York. It could happen to anybody apparently. But he, he instead of flying with his family to Miami. He ends up in New York. And he's in this really nice hotel until he's not. And the plan doesn't work out so well. And all of a sudden, he gets stuck on this one weird street. And it's communicating like what New York is really like. And as he goes into that street, all of a sudden, like the lights are kind of flashing. And it doesn't look so good anymore. And it's night. And there's these two prostitutes. And they're like leering at him and smoking and talking about how they want to read him a bedtime story or something. And he freaks out. And he runs from the prostitutes. And then he jumps into a cab. Oh my gosh, it's crazy out there. And then the cab driver turns around and he's got like all these warts and he's sweating and he's really obese and he's like, it's not any better in here. And then Kevin freaks out there and he jumps out of the cab and he goes running into Central Park where he meets the bird lady. It doesn't get better. And what it's trying to communicate, think about that. When Jesus goes from heaven to earth, this is your home, so maybe you've gotten used to the smell. But he doesn't come around things that are morally neutral. He comes around things that are blaspheming. That are idolaters. That are prostitutes. And tax collectors. And there he is among us. He brings God to us. John 1.1. That which was from the beginning. Which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes. This is the first John. This is the series we just finished. That was from the beginning, which we have, we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life. He brought God to us. God, who you cannot talk to, who you cannot touch, who you cannot be in his presence because of your sinfulness. That God is now with us so that John, the Apostle John, was able to say, listen, you can believe my testimony because I saw him. That God, I heard him and it says I touched him. Think about the contrast that we're talking about here in the Old Testament to be in the presence of God. You had to have all of this mediation. You had to have all this protection. You had to obey all of these extra rules so that you could in some way be protected in the holiness of God despite your sinfulness. You could only be the priest class, which could only be from this tribe, which could only be descended from this man. And that priest class only had certain people who were allowed to go only at certain times into the presence of God. And when they did, they had to have certain protections. They had to only wear certain garments. They had to only do certain tasks. They had to only commit certain sacrifices in order to have their sins covered for the moment that they could somehow stand before the presence of God. And you can see in the Old Testament when that breaks down what happens. 
and get killed. You have Abraham's kids who have kids who have kids. Egypt and then Israel escapes. And you have Moses and his brother Aaron. And Moses is bringing from God the word that's going to establish the priesthood. And you have Aaron who's going to now stand before the presence of God as the high priest. And he brings his sons, Nadab and Abihu. And he's teaching them the same things because they're going to inherit that priesthood. And Nadab and Abihu stand before God in a flippant way by bringing strange fire is what it says in the old translation. What it means is that instead of burning incense before God in a censure that they, they kindled, that the little fire that they started from the kindling that came from this holy spot, they just went out and grabbed some kindling. That's all they did. Do you know what happened when they kindled that flame and they lit that censure and they burned that incense and they went to go stand before God and burn that incense. Do you know what God did? Once that protection was gone and they stood before the holiness of God, do you know what happened? Fire from God consumed them. It's not a safe God. It's not safe for a sinner to stand in God's holy presence. Second story, King David, hundreds of years later, is moving the Ark of the Covenant from one place back into Jerusalem. He's going to bring it back where it's supposed to be. And for some reason, he puts it on an ox cart instead of having the Levites carried on poles like they're supposed to. And behind the ox cart goes walking Uzzah, and he sees the ox stumble, and he sees the covenant shift, and he's nervous that this box, this Ark of the Covenant that holds the Ten Commandments, that is supposed to represent God's presence on earth, as it starts to slip, he jumps up to stop it from falling. And do you know what happens when he touches the Ark of the Covenant? Does God go, ooh, don't do that. Do you know what happens when the holiness of God touches the sinfulness of man? Uzzah is struck dead. They buried that man. He didn't slowly get cancer and we're not sure where it came from. He you cannot put God with man and yet in Jesus he has brought God to us he's been touched by us God's presence with us and what does God's presence look like once he takes on our nature and he stands among us does he lord over us you bet he does of course he does he's God before Abraham was I am that's what Jesus says about himself and yet he humbles himself and serves. He, wa- <laughs> he washed the disciples' feet. Jesus, God, washed the disciples' feet. That's, that's stinky. Like, we get that. We got modern shower every day, or, you know, close to it. And you, you keep your feet somewhat clean, and I don't want to touch them. And you fast rewind 2,000 years where they're walking around in sandals and animal dung and blah, blah, blah. And you're like, yeah, hygienically, that is a disgusting thing to do. But if you know the Old Testament, you can understand something deeper. Because it talks about these angels who fly around in the presence of God. They have these wings that they're flying with. But they also have wings with which they cover their face because God's too holy to look upon. And what else does it say? They have two more wings. With what? With which they cover their feet. Why? Because your feet are the symbol of your creatureliness. You and I have to stand on something, have to be sustained. 
by something. God doesn't stand on anything. He is self-existent, self-sustaining. Where we are sustained by the word of his power, that we have to be sustained by him. Our feet represent the place at which we have to hold to God's creation because we're creatures. And Jesus washes their feet. Think about the fact that it was at the Last Supper that that happened, that not too long after that, when Jesus is arrested and his disciples betray him and run away, they ran from him on feet that he had just cleaned. God with us. He's come to be with us, to be touched, to be lived with. And how God has come to be with us in order to bring us to be with God. This is a good quote from a guy named David Mathis. He said, The virgin birth shows that humanity needs redeeming that it cannot, cannot, cannot bring about for itself. The fact that the human race couldn't produce its own redeemer implies that its sin and guilt are profound and that its savior must come from outside. When I was growing up and they were trying to teach us how to communicate the gospel, they would draw a picture and you would draw a cliff on one side and a cliff on the other side. You put God over here and you put man over here. And you'd see that there's this big cliff, there's this giant chasm you can't get from where you are as man over here to God. And then they would try and build a bridge of works. They're trying to build a bridge of praying and going to church. They're trying to build a bridge of being a good evangelist or being a good dad or being a good uh, husband or wife. And they would show how that bridge only gets you a little bit and then you fall. That there's just no way to build something big enough that it'll get all the way across and that you can get to God. There's no way. Until the cross. And you draw a cross in the middle of that big chasm. And they show how Jesus is the bridge. He is the thing that connects man to God. He's the thing you can walk across to be with God. Because what he did was make a way for us to be with God. Romans 5.15 says the free gift is not like the trespass. He's making a comparison. He's making a comparison between Adam and Jesus. See how this works. If many died through one man's trespass, the free gift is not like the trespass. To trespass is to walk where you're not supposed to, to sin. Jesus is going to give us this free gift. Adam has given us through inheritance this trespass that we all sin just like Adam did. And if many died through one man's trespass, how much more have the grace of God and the free gift by the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. See, when Jesus took on not only our flesh, but our sin, when dying on the cross, he, he assuages, he, he stands before God as our propitiation, taking upon himself the wrath that we deserve for our sin from God, he creates a free gift. See, he has gone to stand before the Father. That's what happened when his resurrection led to his ascension. He goes and he stands before the Father. It talks about that in Scripture, how he stands before the Father for us. We sing about how he is the anchor and how our anchor holds within the veil. That we have stand, we can stand now before God. Not because we're good enough. Not because we can climb to him. You remember the story in the Old Testament about how they would build a tower. The Babylon, these people in Babylon, they built a tower. Why? 
They're going to storm heaven and invade it. Really? We've sent men and rockets up into space. You can't get to heaven that way. It doesn't matter what kind of ship you build or how far you go. You cannot get to heaven with building, with doing, with earning. There's no ladder that can climb high enough. Not possible. He's too holy. You're too creaturely. You're too sinful. Never going to work. You have to set that down and receive the free gift. Free gift's not like the trespass. It's just given. And that's what Jesus has done for us. Here's another way of saying it. By a guy named Augustine in the 400s. He's helping us understand Christmas. He says, man's maker was made man. That he, ruler of the stars, might nurse at his mother's breast. That the bread might hunger. That the fountain thirst. The light sleep. The way be tired on its journey. That the truth might be accused of false witness. The teacher be beaten with whips. The fountain I'm sorry, the foundation be suspended on wood. The strength might grow weak that the healer might be wounded that life might die. Do you see? Do you see how big this is? Do you see how you're missing a wow reaction that you should have to these things? Do you see? Do you see how you're wooden? Do you see how your heart is hardened to these truths? To these miraculous, beautiful, overwhelming truths? Do you see how you don't have the capacity to hold the beauty that he's trying to give you? Have you seen? This is what Christmas is about. It's about receiving this gift. It's about feeling this truth a little bit more and a little bit more and a little bit more. And the Bible says that that wow that hits you is going to overflow. The love that you feel is going to bubble up in reflection. It's going to overflow into your love for others. Listen, if there were hundreds of people at Hope Church this morning, if we were bringing in chairs and filling stuff up and people are coming to me afterward and saying, we can't keep meeting Salma and this is just not going to work. There's too many people and there's too many fire coats and blah, 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 blah. And they're just yabbing at me and I was so happy about it because there's just so many people here and everybody's just, how? Teach me, please. How do I get to know Jesus? It was wonderful. Would that be enough? I asked myself that question. Would that be enough? What's what's your motivation? What's pushing you to keep going? Is that enough? On the one hand, you say, is that enough to justify yourself before God? Because we ask that question. Well, of course not. Of course not. You can't build a tower to heaven. Okay, so let's put down religion. And remember the gospel and say, is that enough to really know the beauty of God's love for you? Is that enough people experiencing that song and that feast and that love? No. 
That's why I have to get you to feel the wow. So that, 1 John 3.16, by this we know love, that he laid down his life for us. We felt his love. God becomes man, taking God to us, taking us to God. We know this love that he has laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. Gosh, Thanksgiving was awesome, and it was hard. And I didn't do anything. David and his team did all the food production and all the planning. Josh and his team did all of the finding of students and putting together relationships with the schools and then organizing all those names into groups and lists. No, 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 no. Do you know what I did on Thursday? That. That's what I did. You just said what I did on Thursday. <laughs> Bupkis, nothing. That's often the plan at Hope Church. David, Josh, and myself are the pastors of Hope Church. The plan is usually David and Josh are going to knock out incredible things and be titans and move big stuff. And I'll, I'll be there. I'll be friendly. I don't know. I'll smile. I'll pat people on the back and keep encouraging people so that I have time to do this, I guess. You know. And yet, even not doing much, there was part of me that kept patting myself on the back for what we all did on Thursday. There's a part of me that felt full as though that was somehow enough to feed that many people one meal on one day, that that was somehow enough to appropriately show God how much I'm receiving from Him, how much love I'm feeling from Him, that the gratitude that should be overwhelming me could somehow be satisfied by just that. Is that what you felt? It's not enough. If it felt like Thursday was enough service, then I don't think you've understood the wow yet. So let's dig deeper. Let's keep going. This Christmas, as we go week after week after week and understanding this invasion that God has done towards us, let us understand that wow so that it can overflow into our love for others. Lord and Heavenly Father, I pray right now that you would be bringing us to understand your love towards us. Not just so that we can understand facts. Not just so that we can be clearer on our theology. But so that we can really be melted by your love for us. So that we can really come to know what you have done for us. God who is holy coming down to the dust. That we can understand what you have done for us. That we would be so willing to go and do the same. Not, not just so that you will somehow reward us, but because we've seen what you've done for us and we want to go and do that for others. We've felt the beauty of this song and we want others to hear it also. I pray, Father, that you would make us into that kind of a people and into that kind of a church. Lord, for your glory, let us take these invite cards and bring people to Christmas Eve services. Let us go and get into our neighbors' lives to really know what they need and be willing to do whatever it takes, time or money, to make those things happen, Father, to show your love to this world. I pray that you would do that through us, for your glory and our good. In Christ's name we pray.